As many of you know, when I give a, a talk here on a Friday evening, very often I haven't got a clue what I'm going to talk about until only a few minutes before. Uh, this evening that I'm going to be talking about the inner anger and how to overcome that. And even though that was suggested to me just, uh, uh, just before we came in for the, the meditation, it seems to me that uh, sometimes these talks are meant to happen because I look back on the week and to see that it's uh, the same subject in different forms has come up a couple of times in the week I've just uh, uh, been living. Uh, first of all, at a funeral ceremony for someone who committed uh, suicide, uh, a young man, 22, I gave a, a little uh, funeral ceremony uh, which included a ceremony of forgiveness. And uh, later on, a few hours later, I was giving a talk at the university and a couple of students were talking about anger and uh, whether there are some people in this world that uh, deserve to be angry uh, or rather deserve to receive one's anger and should never be forgiven or what. And again this evening about people who have this inner anger inside of them. And so that uh, seems to be the week has conspired to make me talk about anger this evening and uh, in its many different guises. One of the things which I was talking about at a university was that Buddhism gives a completely different perspective on some of these problems. And uh, the first thing I'd like to say about uh, inner anger or outer anger is that it's not necessary, it's not natural, it's not something which is always there, which has to be there, which you can do nothing about. And uh, sometimes it's our different cultural assumptions get in the way of overcoming these things. In particular, I was uh, telling uh, some of the students that in the nine years which I spent in uh, northeast Thailand uh, as a young monk in a village, or rather just outside a village, it was a part of Thailand which hadn't been affected by any Western culture, very different than the cities which you might go to. This was a traditional Thailand. In the nine years which I spent in this monastery, which was also the local cremation ground for many villages around, and even though I'd seen many cremations, many funeral ceremonies, maybe once every two or three weeks there was somebody who was brought into the monastery to be cremated, but it was only once that I remember anybody crying during a funeral ceremony. It was not expected that people would cry. It was not sort of part of the cultural norm and there was no suppression there. These people in the villages, they weren't sort of <coughs> suppressed, psychotic or had any bad um, effects from that not crying. This was a natural part of the way they expressed themselves. And to seeing that, it made it very clear to me that uh, grief and anger are not uh, always going to be there. And much of the the grief and the anger which we talk about in the Western world are very much part of our cultural bias rather than anything inherent inside of a human being. And you can see that because some people, when there is a loss, when there is somebody dies, they don't cry, they don't feel grief. They have another way of looking at things. It's the same way that when something goes wrong in your life, or somebody does something wrong, a mistake happens, a terrible mistake happens which causes a lot of suffering. Sometimes there are many people who just do not feel 
anger. And it's marvelous actually to see such people in the world. Very often you look at those people as being saints, look at those people as being uh, great images, great heroes. You're talking about the Nelson Mandelas of the world, people who get put in jail but who don't have anger towards their tormentors. And when they get into power, they don't get their own back on the people who hurt them. It's marvelous to see such people. Uh, very often we get inspired by such people because it does show that there is another alternative to this rotten feeling of anger inside of us. And this is the first thing which I wanted to mention. And this is very clear in Buddhism, that one does not need to feel anger. It's not necessary, it's not inherent in being a human being. So realizing that there is another possibility opens many doors. If people think we have to get angry, there's no other choice, it has to happen, then of course we don't even bother to even contemplate ways of lessening even being free from that anger. So once we know it's possible, then we want to find out exactly how or actually, if we really want to be free of anger, that's one of the first things. So this is why that in uh, Buddhism especially, when we do practices like meditation, one of the things which it is doing is it is making us very sensitive to the inner world. And again, somebody asked me this recently, just a, a young girl, saying that when she practices meditation, she seems to become more sensitive to even the hurts which she feels from other people. And before she said, I mean, she didn't really feel so sensitive and just so easily upset. And I told her, this is actually quite natural, this is the result, because what is happening that when you start to meditate, when you start to become mindful, more alert, more aware to what's happening, this is one of the first things you recognize. You were hurting all the time, you were sensitive, but you weren't noticing it. One of the first things which, my, which uh, meditation and the practice of mindfulness does, it opens up your eyes to what's really happening. As I mentioned uh, in a simile many years ago, it's like many people have got their minds, their hearts in a concrete bunker. They don't really feel very deeply or very thoroughly, a lot of times because they're scared, because of the hurt which has happened to them before in their life. So we have our little place of safety inside where we don't want to feel. We don't really want to be here. And that's why many people just end up in fantasies, in dreams, always escaping from the reality of now. And in meditation we say, well, come into the present moment, come into this place we call now. Stop trying to run away. And of course, when you start doing that, again, you're opening up your heart to the reality. And at first it can become a bit tender. However, that once you start to actually feel what it's like just to be, you can take something like anger and understand what it's like to be angry. You actually start to contemplate this rather than trying to run away from it or trying to express its consequences. By expressing its consequences, I mean, okay, I'm angry at someone, let's go and sort them out, let's go and do something, let's go and express that anger. And I uh, used to look at my own anger, which came up, 
it was very difficult actually to watch it and to feel it, to find out what it truly is. Because whenever I was angry, I always had an object of anger. It was a person or a thing, a situation or something. And my anger was always focusing my mindfulness, not in here, but focusing out there on the object of my hatred. Because I was always looking out there, the person, the thing, which had upset me, which had caused my life difficulty, because <coughs> that initial aspect of anger was drawing me out of myself onto somebody else, I was never really noticing how I felt when I was anger, angry. I was never seeing the whole process inside myself. My mindfulness was concerned with you, you stupid thing. With her, how could she do such a thing? I was never actually inside of myself. And so it took a lot, actually, to, to get that mindfulness. Instead of worrying about the trigger, the person outside, or the thing outside, which caused me to be angry, it took a lot of practice with meditation to feel how I felt, what was going on inside me when anger started to occur. So it wasn't the person out there I was focusing on anymore. I was focusing on the person inside. And... This is one of the first ways to get to know what that anger is, to understand it, and actually to feel whether you really want to get rid of anger or not. It's actually knowing how it feels. And that's only done through this practice of mindfulness, being able to know in the present moment what, what's going on. Because a lot of times we're just not here. A simile which I gave, a story which I gave to these uh, students, I always want to sort of give them something which is useful for them. And I told them how I passed my exams when I was at university. And how I passed my exams at university was, you know, stressful exams, was doing meditation in my lunch hour. And <coughs> the story which I gave was uh, the story of the final exams. This was at Cambridge University. And it's a very good example of how meditation uncovers some of the difficulties and uh, problems which are hidden normally and which, you know, if they're hidden you don't really know they're there, you can't deal with them. In those days, 30 odd years ago, yeah, 30 years ago now, final examinations, with six days of examinations with three hours in the morning, one hour for lunch, three hours in the afternoon from Monday to Saturday, one day after another, with no break. And that was whether you got your degree or you failed was just on those exams. So that was uh, really stressful. And uh, it was in theoretical physics. So that was even more stressful. <laughs> so at that time, because I'd been a Buddhist, because I learned how to meditate, I had a great advantage. I never had any lunch in those days during exam time. But instead, I went back to my room sat down and meditated. Now what happens when you meditate is you sort of bring your mindfulness into the present moment. And that was hard. Because the first thing which came up when I started to meditate was start thinking about what I'd done in the morning exam. Now those of you who remember your school days, you know that's what happens. I was drifting off into the, the past. Did I answer that question right? Did I make it correct or did I do it wrong? My meditation training told me that's in the past. You never get anywhere that way. Let it go. The past is done. Whether you got the question right or you got the question wrong, it's too late now. Don't waste your time. 
So as soon as I let go of the past, the next thing which came up, and this was in order, I remember it very clearly, the future. What's going to come up in the afternoon examination? Should I get the books out and start to swat a bit more? And straight away I had enough understanding that, look, how many times in other examinations have I done this? The last minute I've opened up a book, opened up the chapter, started reading, and it hasn't come up at all. I completely wasted my time. What he was saying was the future is uncertain. You don't know what's going to come up in the afternoon examination. And if I worry about the afternoon examination, I'm not going to do what I'm supposed to be doing to rest, to prepare myself. So I let go of the future. By let go of the past and the future, the first stage of meditation, for me the past and the future was the morning exam and the afternoon exam. And as soon as you let that one go, I was actually surprised but once I stopped thinking about the past and the future and I came to the present, the next thing I noticed was I was actually shaking, physically shaking through nerves. And I'd never noticed that. I thought I was on top of these exams. It was denial. But as soon as I came to the present moment, I could actually see, experience what was going on, I realized there was a problem there. And it was only when the mindfulness could come to the present moment, come to reality, could it see that nervousness and could then calm myself down. So I did get calm. But I was surprised that there was another level of problem. Underneath that nervousness, what I saw again shocked me because I didn't think it was there. I couldn't see it when I was worried about past and future. What I saw next was this deep tiredness inside of me. I'd actually been working too hard, studying too hard. You know, doing exams just really drained me. But I never noticed that in my normal consciousness. It's only when I went through these layers, past the past and future, past the nervousness, I could come to, I was really wiped out. But when I noticed I was tired, you know, mentally tired, I could actually tell myself to really relax that mind, just to let go, to rest. Once I saw the problem, it was very easy to understand what to do, and so I rested my mind. And I didn't need to rest for very long, I only had half an hour, but I noticed every day when I came out of my meditation after half an hour, not only was I not shaking anymore, not only was I not tired, I was bright, clear, and my friends told me that I was the only person who went into the afternoon examination smiling. And I did really well. And that was one of the reasons why I did, did very well at university. Just the exam technique. But it showed me not just how to pass exams. It showed me ways of overcoming deep problems in my life. And especially in this context of this talk, it showed me how to get to grips with anger. I had to come into the present moment and see what the anger was. Again, anger often takes you out of that present moment. This is what I'm going to do to that person. This is what I'm going, to, I'm going to really teach them. The next time they come up, this is what I'm going to do. You're going off into the past. You're focusing on somebody else. Well, they shouldn't have done this. They shouldn't have said this. Why did they do that? That's in the past again. You're not actually feeling how anger feels right now inside of you. So the practice of meditation will make that very clear what anger is doing to you. One of the people today asked me, what's the karma of actually being angry at somebody else? Even if you don't express it, you don't hit them, you don't shout at them, you just feel it. 
I wish they were dead. And a slow death as well. (laughs) What does that actually do to you? Feel it inside when that happens. And you find out that irrespective of what you're going to do to somebody else or how they're going to suffer, you are hurting. It's a rotten feeling to be angry. It really sort of messes up the moment. It's black, it hurts, it boils. And it's far from being happy. Once you start to notice what's it doing to you, then you realize this anger is a personal problem. It's not a problem with somebody else. You've got to deal with this problem inside you first of all, before you start to sort out the world and all its mistakes. You feel anger in the present moment. You feel it as a sensation in the body, as as an object of the mind. and You feel the pain of anger, the suffering, the hurt inside of you, the tension, the tightness, the stretching of the mind. The fact that it's literally in a jail cell with no freedom at all, completely consumed with this one aspect of reality, that which hurt you, that which was wrong, You can't see anything else. You are confined by the anger. There's no feeling of space. There's no feeling of freedom. There's no way of being happy. If you're angry, you can't even enjoy a good movie. You can't enjoy uh, the sunset. You can't even just enjoy a good Dharma talk. You're just so fed up. Angry, angry, angry. There's no freedom there. There's no happiness. There's no peace. There's no real, real freedom of being there. And so you realize it is a problem. Once you realize it is a problem for you, then you realize that there's something which you have to do. You have to understand this anger, especially why you get angry. Buddhist psychology starts off with knowing what this thing truly is and then knowing its cause. A lot of times, and I should pause with actually knowing what these things are, because do you really know what anger is? We think we know these things. What I was talking about last week with the five candies, the five aggregates. So often we think we know. Now we, our perception, our thoughts, we, we've been angry so many times, we really have the illusion that we understand what anger truly is. A lot of times we never really stop long enough to fully investigate it. Because we've always been expressing it. Knowing what anger is, not as a word, a feeling in the body, an emotion in the mind, know it very well. And then know how it arises. And so you don't need to go and do these experiments and uh, watching and investigating other people, how they get angry. Know how you get angry, because anger is so common in our day, in our society. I mean anything from irritations to out-and-out vile hatred. It's very easy to see how it arises. It arises from a lack of happiness, a lack of contentment. I've seen that in myself. If ever I am ill physically or mentally or whatever. It's so easy to get angry. I noticed this the first time when I was a young monk in Thailand because most of these stories are from my youth in Thailand as a monk. 
because this is when I was starting to learn mindfulness of meditation, starting to look at myself. What I notice is, once every week in this monastery, we had to stay up all night meditating. That was just Ajahn Chah, the teacher's uh, rule of discipline. So we wouldn't sleep all day, and we'd have all this chanting and a talk in the evening, and then we'd, uh, if we were lucky, we'd have a cup of coffee, but sometimes not. Ajahn Chah was great at torturing us. He'd get this cup of coffee. This, no, not a cup of coffee, so he'd get this big kettle, you know, this huge kettle of coffee for all the monks. It was made by somebody in the kitchen. And he put it next to him, because in our tradition, the hierarchies of monasticism, the discipline, the senior monk had to have it first, and then pass the second monk, the third monk, fourth monk, all the way down. In those days, I was a long way down. <laughs> but nevertheless, Ajahn Chah would have this cup. It would be enough for everybody. But you just leave it there. You can see it. You can smell it. You can imagine it. <laughs> but you couldn't drink it. And you're leaving it there. I wonder when he's going to pass it down. When is it when he's going to pass it down? 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock. It's amazing how much you could hate a great monk like Ajahn Chah. <laughs> And he's doing this on purpose, to teach you anger. And it was a great discipline because you, know, you knew this guy was doing it for your own good, so you couldn't really sort of think he was like really evil or, or wrong. And you had a choice. Your choice was either to spend the whole night boiling with anger or just to let it go and be at peace. And after a while you realize, when you had that choice, it was much more fun, much more enjoyable just letting it go, being at peace. But what I did notice was that after staying up all night, especially without any coffee, the following morning was when you were really grumpy. And I started picking arguments with my fellow monks. You know, that no, you were nodding when you were meditating. You weren't chanting properly, really out of tone. You should really practice your chanting. And you're not wearing your, your rose properly. Look at the way you eat your food. You're sloppy and you're fat. <laughs> Whatever else it was, I started getting really grumpy. But one thing I noticed was that all those arguments in the monasteries, they always seemed to happen the day after staying up all night. I had enough sort of mindfulness to notice there was a correlation there. And so what I decided to do, instead of picking arguments and also uh, joining in the grumpiness after staying up all night, if I had anything which I saw a monk do, which, was, which I thought they needed to be told, I'd write it on a piece of paper. And I'd just write it down there on a piece of paper. This monk did this, this monk did that. But I wouldn't tell them until I'd had a good sleep good rest. And so I write them all down on a piece of paper and it was amazing because then I had a rest, had a good nap because after our, our meal we were allowed to have a rest after staying up all night. And so when I woke up after the rest in the afternoon, I'd been up all night, I looked at that piece of paper with this monkey dismiss, I thought this is really petty. Why do I want to sort of you know, tell this monk off for that? That's nothing. I do the same probably. I should do, do worse than that. When I actually saw, when I was rested, all the things which I wanted to tell them off about, when I was feeling rested and happy, it wasn't really worth telling. What I noticed was, 
I got angry, I got upset, I got irritated, not because they were doing something wrong, but because I was very tired. And that really opened up a huge understanding and insights into the cause of anger and irritation. It didn't depend upon what somebody else was doing. It depended on how I was feeling. And I started to understand why other people get angry at me. Because so often in my life they get angry at me and I protest, what have I done? I've done nothing. Why are you getting angry at me? You're really unfair. Has that happened to you? People got angry at you, they told you off, you think, what have I done wrong? And of course, the answer is that you've done nothing wrong. People get angry at you, not because of your actions or inactions, not because of what you do. They get angry at you because of how they feel. They are feeling upset, sick, ill, or whatever. Once you understand that, again, it opens up a different response to when people become just intolerable, bad, stupid, say terrible things to you. It opens up a different uh, avenue of response. When you realize it's not you, you've done something, you haven't done anything wrong, you stop trying to justify yourself. You stop trying to argue, what have I done wrong? It's unfair. You stop trying to justify this. You realize that anger has its source in the lack of ease, a lack of happiness, a sickness in that person. I saw this also in one of the fellow monks, another uh, very powerful incident in my young life as a monk. It was one of these monks would always get angry at every other monk, would shout at them and abuse them, and, and one day he did that to me came up to me when I was washing the bowl, he shouted at me, and saying, no, that, that's a, I remember the words now, he said, that's a filthy habit, Brahmawangsa, what you're doing. And I was wondering what I was doing, which was filthy. That's what he said in a very loud voice, it's a filthy habit. I said, what am I doing wrong? And I was wiping my bowl with the wrong cloth. And straight away, the, you know, my, uh, time as a lay person was justifying myself you know, what right of you to say that to me I've been wiping this bowl with this same cloth for weeks now look at all the other monks they're doing the same why me this is, and it's also in public all these other monks were there as well when he was telling me off but again I had enough insight and inspiration to know what the problem was and instead of standing up and starting an argument with this monk I said, sorry. And I had to bite my lip, tense myself up, because it was, I had to force myself to go against my conditioning of standing up. I said, sorry. And I had to, again, use all of my willpower to go over to the other place where the, the proper rags were, instead of going up to him and punching him. I had to stop my response because I wasn't a lay person anymore. You're not supposed to do that as a monk. That's what I wanted to do. But I forced myself over to the, the, the rags and brought the rag back to my bowl. And you know what happens whenever there's like an altercation like this and someone starts shouting? Everyone goes quiet. 
And they always, it's, it's great sort of, uh, I'm not sure entertainment, but people actually start watching and seeing what you're doing. I felt all these eyes following me to the, the box of rags and following me back to see what I was going to do. And I just went back there. Again, I took a lot of uh, willpower and started wiping my bowl with the, the rag, which you know, he asked me to. And as soon as I'd done that, I noticed all the eyes went on to him to see what he would do next. And my eyes went on to him as well. And he went beet red. He was just so embarrassed, he stormed off. And the strange thing was that from that time onwards, he'd get angry at other monks, but he'd never get angry at me ever again. I was his friend. It was, I was very, I don't want to blow my own trumpet, but I was very proud that I'd actually defeated his anger. He said, you can't get angry at Ajahn Brahm. I'll tell him to do stupid things, and I know it's, I shouldn't tell him that, but he just goes and does it. It's no fun getting angry at people like that. I only found out afterwards that this monk suffered terrible migraines. He never let anyone know. He understood why he was angry at all these others. He was hurting inside. Because I didn't respond with anger back at him and start an argument, the whole thing disappeared and dissipated. And it's a very wonderful thing to do, but it was because of his physical sickness. That's why he got angry at me. And so understanding where anger is coming from, that you can actually start to give compassion back. Understanding that a lot of time when we get angry at other people, sometimes it's because we don't allow mistakes into our life. We want everyone to be perfect and life to be perfect. As we were just joking in the car as we came up this afternoon. As one of the monks said, oh, because uh, the driver was getting angry at somebody else who's in the monastery. And he said, well, yeah, you know, you're right, so why can't everyone be like you? <laughs> Isn't that one of the, the parts of being angry? We think, why can't everyone be like me? And then there'd be no point for anger anymore, would there? If everyone was like you, wise, compassionate, kind, there would be no... <laughs> what does it actually say there? Get real. You are a human being. You make mistakes. You irritate other people, don't you? And other people irritate you. Welcome to life. A lot of anger, irritation, ill will, comes because we don't allow mistakes to happen. The perfectionist inside of us always wants things to be so. And perfection, in everyone's idea, is like being like me. Not like Ajahn Brahm, but whoever you are in there, perfection is being like me. <laughs> now, part of mindfulness training, meditation training, wisdom training, is you see yourself making mistakes. One of the great things which I learned from the beautiful monks in Thailand I grew up with and trained under, was it was all right to make mistakes. You know, in a lot of my early life, I was afraid of making mistakes. You get punished when you get made mistakes. You got told off. You was made to feel guilty. Do you feel guilty? You've done this wrong thing. And if you said, yeah, I feel really guilty, I feel terrible, I'd start crying, then they'd let you off. You are asked, demanded by the culture, 
to give yourself pain or to expect punishment for making mistakes. When I went to be a monk in Thailand, if you made a mistake, you're always forgiven. It was strange at first for me because I didn't feel comfortable at all. So you made a mistake and say, well, you know, just don't, make, don't do it again. End of story. There's no punishment at all. You know, as Buddhist monks, we have a very strict discipline. We don't get punished if we do anything wrong. If we break any of our precepts as monks, what we usually do, just go to another monk and say, look, you know, I, I did this terrible thing. You know, I sort of ate, ate in the afternoon. I went to the kitchen and stole a sandwich because I was hungry. And then the monk says, okay, don't do it again. Well, next time get one for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, they don't say that. But you're not excommunicated, you're not sent into the dungeon and tortured, you're not, you don't have this like punishment thing. And that was a, a great revelation to actually to see that, that these great monks, if you did something wrong, they'd actually sometimes they'd come and say, you know that when I was a young monk I did the same. Don't worry, this is how to deal with it, this is how to understand it, this is how to, to solve the problem, so you don't have to do it again. And there was no sort of sense of like, anger directed at you if you made a mistake. And I started to understand that actually making mistakes is being human. And I could actually accept that. I could accept my own mistakes. And I found out that this was an extremely skillful way of having less mistakes happen in your monastery. When you allow people to make mistakes, they make less. But if you demand that mistakes cannot be made and there's punishments, people are so afraid, they're so scared, that they're not mindful, they're not at ease and they make mistakes all the time. Allowing mistakes means less mistakes. And so having that ability to allow mistakes into the world means you're not so critical and fault-finding of the other people you live with. And you can accept the people you live with, you know, basically as they are. When you're not fault-finding, you're not looking at the mistakes, you're looking at the other parts of them as well. You're developing this marvellous thing we call forgiveness. And this forgiveness thing is very difficult for people. In the Asian world, especially amongst monks, there's nothing which you can't forgive. And it's beautiful. Some, it's been some of the most inspiring experiences of my monastic life to see how far that forgiveness can go and how wonderful it is when it happens. Because what do you lose by forgiving someone? This was an argument which I had at the university after my talk I gave there on Wednesday. A couple of young students came up and said, look, this forgiveness business. What about Martin Bryant, the guy who sort of murdered all those, those young people and uh, uh, those people in Port Arthur? And they'd just seen some 60 Minutes program of him and about some of the pain of the parents of the people who died. I said, surely you can't forgive him. I said, why not? I said, because he's just so evil, he's caused so much pain. And I said, now what do you, what do you lose by forgiving? What do you gain by forgiving? 
Is he going to become a worse person if he gets forgiveness? Or is he going to become a better person? Is the world going to become a worse place through forgiveness or a better place? And straight away, while they were thinking about that, I decided to say, okay, what about Israel, the Jews and the Palestinians? One obvious case, that is, for the need of forgiveness. If there's no forgiveness given, that conflict is going to go on and on and on endlessly. And you, if you give forgiveness, you're going to end that conflict. You're going to end that pain, that economic problem, the terrible uh, suffering which goes on there, even as we're speaking now, not just for one person, whole societies, whole regions, families, groups of families, consumed by anger and revenge, tit for tat. The only way that can end is when somebody has enough and says, forgive. What do you gain through forgiveness? You gain the end of war, the end of anger, the end of revenge, the end of suffering. And you get people have a chance to live their lives again. You know, to just to go out and have a party. You know, to go and play soccer together. You know, to, for an Israeli Jew to marry an Arab woman. To have fun again. To have friendship, to have freedom. That's what you gain through forgiveness. Through anger, what do you get? You're just in prison again. You just have wars, suffering, deep suffering. So that was, uh, I won the argument there. They said, you're consistent. That makes sense. Because you can't sort of want to forgive sometimes, but not always. It's just, it, it doesn't make, doesn't, it's not logical. But also that once you can accept a degree of forgiveness, you realize you're not losing anything. This is why people are afraid to forgive. They think, if I forgive, we're going to lose something very important. You know, punishment, or the person's going to get worse. We're going to lose too much through forgiveness. But pointing out that you don't lose, you only gain through forgiveness. Everybody gains. People actually give it a bit more chance. But of course, that anger which we have inside of us, which boils up and boils up and boils up and creates a pain inside of us, once we realize that it's there, how it arises, again, I've already explained how it's overcome. Understand why people do that. Because they're stupid, because they're upset, because they're in a hurry, because they make mistakes just like I do. I see in other people's bad actions, I see my own bad actions. Now, there was a, a, a Vietnamese monk called Thich Nhat Hanh. Some of you may have read some of his books. Uh, one of his early books, he wrote this amazing poem, which you know, really moved me when I first read it, because he was uh, uh, involved in the Vietnam War. He was uh, a refugee. And he spoke for many of the, the boat people, the Vietnamese boat people, who had escaped from that conflict in boats and on their way to Thailand and Malaysia, they got raped by Thai pirates and uh, many of their possessions were taken from them, many of them were thrown into the oceans. Many of them suffered 
immense pain. And this fellow who was speaking for that society, he had this poem which said something like, I am the Thai fisherman who rapes the 13-year-old girl. I am the girl who's losing her youth and her purity. I am the thief who takes all the money. I am the, the husband who sees all the life savings just go. I am the wife who sees her child thrown into the ocean. And I am the man who throws that child into the ocean. He was actually identifying, seeing, feeling the pain on both sides. Not just being the victim, but being the victimizer. That was a huge leap of mindfulness to be able to do that. To be Martin Bryant. To feel what it was like. What that's actually doing is very hard. What it's actually doing is feeling the whole range of what it's like to be a human being. From the very lowest to the very highest. And realizing as the old saying goes, let's say there, but for fortune go you or I. Who knows if we were brought up in that society? Who knows the reasons why? The forces acting on a human being to make them do such things. How can you understand that? By taking that great leap of mindfulness and insight to be there, and be that person, to be the murderer, to be the rapist in your imagination. That's getting close to understanding the root of all these things. Sometimes we think we'll never be able, we would never do such things. We're too civilized to do such things. I'm sure you all know so many psychological uh, experiments, so much research done that shows that if you're in that situation, if you sitting in this hall here had all those forces on you, what would you have done? You know that great experiment of just taking these people from the streets many years ago and splitting them into so-called two groups. One was actually the people really from the streets, the other one was the uh, psychology students, the experimenters. And they took these people from the streets and said, look, this is actually uh, a real experiment which we have to do for national security. That we know we're the CIA, we're experimenting with torture equipment. So we have to find out the effect of this so that uh, we can actually use it to safeguard our country. They gave some sort of justification for it. And they put the so-called half of these subjects in a room and these other people were supposed to be torturing them with electric shocks and turning up the dials. You know, they weren't really. Uh, these were just actors you know, actually being so-called tortured and they just were pretending to scream and to writhe. But the People from the street didn't know that. And the experimenters were just so surprised how ordinary people in the street could so easily torture just other people from the same race, from the same country. Sometimes we think the torturer must be some subhuman being. They can't be us. They can. Understanding that gives a rise to the understanding the reason why forgiveness can happen, the reason why forgiveness should happen. 
the reason why that that forgiveness is where all hatred and anger finish. That's why the beginning of this funeral which I gave, uh, conducted last week, is a funeral, a funeral for someone who committed suicide, 22-year-old boy. Began the funeral service after inviting everyone just to be comfortable, just to sit quietly, to go through a forgiveness ceremony. Told him to close your eyes. Okay now, sort of, when we live together, when we're friends, and you're here because, you know, you are the father, the mother, the brother, the friend of this, this boy, there will be some things which you said, some things which you did, or even thought which you shouldn't have done. There's lots of unfinished business there. There's some things and some deeds and words which you should have done, which you didn't do. Now's the time, in your own heart, in your own way, to ask forgiveness. As if that person was there, to say sorry. And that was just so important at the beginning of such a ceremony. Because especially the suicide, the so-called unexpected death, which happened very suddenly, there was immense unfinished business. There was a sense of anger there to those people, to the person who died. Why did you cause me so much suffering? Why did you cause me to be so upset? That happens. There's anger to the person who's died. There's a sense of anger towards oneself, which we call guilt. All these emotions are actually coming up there the inner anger inside of one. And people came up afterwards and said how much they appreciated just that few minutes, the beginning of a funeral ceremony, where they could make their peace and let go of that inner anger. Those little acts of forgiveness are so powerful. Once you get into that idea of forgiveness, you can cut this inner anger off. If someone cuts you up, cuts you up on the street, what do you lose by forgiving them? If someone abuses you, upsets you, does the wrong thing by you, what do you lose by forgiving them? If they're a Christian, God will sort it out. If they're a Buddhist, karma will get them. Whatever happens, they're not going to sort of get out of, uh, they're not going to escape from anything. Whatever you do in this world, whether people catch you or they don't catch you, whether they shout at you or they don't shout at you, whether they forgive you or get angry at you, you've still got that karma. You don't, sort of get, get away scot-free in this world. And so because of that, what do you lose? What you gain is you gain peace of mind. What you gain is you get health in this body because that anger boils, that anger uh, stresses this body and you can't be healthy with so much anger. You can't feel happiness with so much anger. If you've got the anger inside of you because what someone else did, you are being sick inside and you're going to give that anger out. To, you're going to cause anger in some other people as well. You're going to go and do something which upsets them. And this anger and hurt, anger and hurt will just go round and round and round and round. So understanding of sort of that compassion and forgiveness is a way to overcome that anger opens up these huge numbers of doors. 
And it's wonderful to be able to have that degree of high-mindedness that you can forgive. A lot of that anger, the last points in this talk on inner anger, a lot of that inner anger again is becoming because that you yourself don't feel happy. You yourself don't feel free. You don't feel at peace with yourself. So much, 90% of anger is always directed at this person inside. It's expressed towards others, but it comes from an anger inside of you. So what I was saying, if you were really feeling at peace, if you were really happy, if you were at ease, it would be impossible to get angry at anybody else. If you just got enlightened this evening, then you would not be able to get angry at anybody. If you had a deep meditation, you were just so blissed out, no matter what other people would say or do to you, you just would be too happy to care. If you won this weekend's lotto, and how many millions it is this weekend, then no matter what other people did to you, you'd be just, you wouldn't care. You were rich. Because of happiness, because of ease, because of peace, there's no reason to get angry at other people. There's no sickness inside. That's where anger stops. In Buddhism, a certain stage of enlightenment, there's so much happiness inside, so much peace inside, that anger is finished forever. You're at ease of peace inside. That's how anger comes to an end. So actually to get to that stage of enlightenment, you realize a lot of anger is towards yourself. And that same forgiveness, that same allowance to make mistakes has to go to you. It's all right to be imperfect. Hands up anyone who's never made a mistake. Hands up if you have made mistakes, even today. <laughs> okay, so can't we allow ourselves to make mistakes from time to time? Isn't that what sort of kindness, compassion and love is all about? Isn't that what peace, isn't that what a Buddha is all about? You know that there was great monks which I met when I was a young monk in Thailand. These were arahats, fully enlightened beings. I was so scared when I first went to meet one of these great monks. I was so scared because I thought they'd be able to read my mind, see all my faults and tell me off. <laughs> but the amazing uh, experience was as soon as I got into the great being's presence, I felt that my faults were understood. They understood why I was making mistakes, why I was being stupid. And it was like this, this beautiful... I'm not sure if you've got one of these great-grandfathers. You know, it's just it's been there, done that, and understands what it's like being a kid, what it's like being a young man, a young woman, what it's like being a middle-aged man, a middle-aged woman. These were great-grandfather monks who knew what it was like to be a young monk. And they just smiled. In that smile, there was understanding, there was forgiveness, there was acceptance. Acceptance of me with all of my faults. You know, that was so moving for me to 
find that even my own father and mother didn't get that degree of acceptance. They were always still trying to train me to get out of my bad habits. But for some of those people, it was actually full acceptance of who I was. And I felt they weren't trying to change me. They were just trying to accept me, be my friend. And that surprised me because you know, these guys could read your mind. They knew what was going on. They understood it, forgave it. There was an amazing feeling of acceptance and from that all my growth as a monk started to happen. I'd have just got uptight if they were always criticizing me and pointing out my faults. I would never be able to get that peace, that freedom to accept myself, to accept this moment, to be at peace with this moment, to get the deep meditations which are all about acceptance and letting go, letting be. And that degree of letting be, which goes against anger, was the heart of my meditation practice. If you meditate with anger, I don't want this, I want to get rid of this, get it, finish off with this. That's anger. You never get peace in meditation, you never get openness, you never get wisdom, you never get freedom. As soon as you stop getting angry at the present moment, angry at yourself, angry at this, and you have a, a degree of acceptance. You imagine yourself being like this old grandfather monk, just looking at you and smiling. And you feel at peace inside your heart. The sense of stillness and freedom inside of your heart. No longer are you in prison because of all of your mistakes and faults. You are now forgiven. You are paroled. And that sense of freedom marvelous to experience. If you want to get yourself perfect, first of all, you spend forever, life after life after life, with that freedom of acceptance. That's where stillness and peace comes from. So this is going to the heart of the inner anger inside of you. Everyone who's not a fully enlightened being has a degree of inner anger that's why we strive and struggle to control, to make this way, make that way, rather than being at ease. And the more you get angry at yourself, at life, at this moment or whatever, the further you are getting away from a sense of inner peace and freedom. What is struggle anyway? Struggle is anger towards this moment. You know that uh, no matter how much you try and get rid of the weeds in the garden, they'd always come up sooner or later. It would be wonderful actually, to appreciate some of the weeds. You know, some of the weeds are very beautiful. They're even more beautiful than the flowers. And also, they don't actually give me as much hay fever as the flowers do. <laughs> so whatever, if one can come to a sense of understanding and acceptance, you can understand inner anger, you can see where it's coming from and you can stop that whole process. So when someone comes up to you and they sort of start messing around, you can not only not react, but you can actually accept their anger, soften their anger, heal their anger and be at peace. Now there's one lady who keeps on ringing up from over east 
She sometimes visited a few times our monastery. She is one angry lady. She keeps, she uses F words all the time on the phone to all the monks, saying, I'm going to come and shoot you all with M16s. And if I'm on the phone and she talks, you know, she said, oh yeah, yeah, you've got a point in there, you know, yes, yes. I never get angry back at her. Never once. But I listen fully to her pain. That's probably why she keeps ringing up, because she says, <laughs> I'm the only one who understands her. <laughs> There's no way in the world would she come with an M16 and shoot the monks up. She just says that because she's so you know, upset inside. This is actually understanding where a lot of anger is coming from and how to deal with it. Now, people might shout at you, but a lot of times they, they don't want to hurt you at all. Not at all. Give them that, that kindness if possible. Understand anger, especially understand the inner anger. And see, if you can't actually get rid of it completely, just lessen it. Be like a Nelson Mandela. Even though put in jail just for standing up for his country for what was right, he would never get angry at his persecutors. If you get angry at your persecutors, you just become another persecutor, another jailer. So those are just some reflections on anger especially inner anger, and how we can overcome it. It's not the person's fault. You can get, I say, get angry at traffic lights. You know, you got red again. I was on my way to the Buddhist society, and I got really late. It's just the traffic lights fault. Come on, traffic light, I'm in a hurry. So it's, it's not the traffic lights fault, is it? It's, so when your husband does something wrong, it's not his fault. He's just being a husband, that's all. What do you expect from husbands? So you can see how, you, and wives as well, you can see how anger, it doesn't mean that someone's doing something wrong. We all make mistakes, it's human. That's why we're here, we're here to learn. If everyone was wise and skillful and kind and always did the right thing, then they wouldn't need to be reborn here. This is like a, a school. So allow people in the school to make mistakes, allow them to learn. Encourage them to be better, but don't go into punishment, especially not punishing yourself. There's terrible inner anger inside. So hopefully those are some uh, useful reflections on anger inside, and hopefully that some of those may have made some sense. If they didn't make any sense, please don't get angry at me. <laughs> okay, has anyone got any comments or questions on this evening's talk? You got a question?